What's up, guys? This is Mad Mork coming to you from Mad Mork Stories, this time from Santiago, Chile. We're here for another exciting podcast on all things startup marketing and careers. And with me tonight is a very, very special guest, a dreamer, a founder, and a man of the world who, you know, I didn't even know until I did additional research, despite the fact that I've known this guy for like six years, who speaks like five languages. I had no idea he even spoke German and Portuguese. It's crazy. But anyway, he is a truly remarkable person. This is the man responsible for revolutionizing the last mile of transportation, the man responsible for personally helping me navigate the craziness of Santiago and helping me get to my meetings on time, the man who's helped me not have to buy a car, and the man who's helped me not have to take uh, taxis anymore, and also somebody that I'm proud to call my friend the founder and chairman of Lime, a cyclist and a sportsman, a leader in the electric scooter sharing industry, the former managing director of Kinzon Capital, which was part of China's Fosun Group, and the former GM of Tencent North America, who led the creation of Tencent's operations in the United States. Brad has a, an MBA from Berkeley and a BBA from Wuhan University. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for being here tonight with all of us, and uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show, man. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm very excited to share some thoughts and then, you know, crazy experience as well. I think the and, and really appreciate the kind words. But uh, the language part, language part probably is a little bit exaggerated. <laughs> and but uh, yeah, really happy to be here. Well, thanks. Look, it's, it's been great. I mean, you know, obviously, you and I have known each other for a number of years. You know, I still remember uh, going out to have lunch as, as, as I had left Google and you had left Tencent and, and our, our discussions around startup journeys and where we were going to take our careers next. Um, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, walking into your small office in San Mateo, where it was just you and like six guys with some of these bicycle prototypes. And you know, now almost three years later, it's just amazing how far you guys have come. So I, I figured just to start things off, maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit some of the latest publicly available metrics for Lime in terms of, you know, rides and cities and, and how far you guys have come because it's, it's just simply remarkable. Uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to share. I think it's not too breaking what we have done so far, but I think it's really to lay the ground of that, uh, you know, how a company can grow as well as that what we're proud of is how many users and cities that we're serving today and help them to, uh, you know, reduce traffic congestions and the pollutions as well. That we are, as a company, we're fairly young. We started the company in January uh, 2017. So we are about two years and close to five months old. Uh, we are currently operating on five continents, uh, roughly about, you know, 30 uh, sorry, 30 cities, uh, not cities, sorry, uh, roughly about 30 countries and in over 100 cities. And we just celebrated the uh, 50 million trip, and the and of course the revenue that you know goes with it. We're probably one of the fast ever growing company in the history of the U, uh, Silicon Valley and United States. It's it, it's simply astounding. I mean, to see how fast you guys have grown, and obviously you know you're really addressing an extremely pressing problem, right? I mean, I remember when you and I worked together briefly at, at Lime San Mateo office for five or six months, 
and I was working with you guys on, you know, brand strategy and the visioning. You know, yep. tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, this, this entrepreneurial bug that you have and where that came from. Because obviously Lime, it's kind of, you know, it was, I guess, your first startup to a degree, but you had done several entrepreneurial-like ventures before. So I was just curious, you know, where did the entrepreneurial bug come from for you? What, what drove that? Yeah, I think the, <laughs> this probably is different, like, you know, for each individual, that how, how we got, you know, educated and grow up as a person that plays a significant role in there. And myself, that I'm, as a, starting as a kid, that I'm always interested in building, and that translates then into different things, right? Building, uh, well, probably more known for building companies and all that, and also like building arts on the uh, playa at Burning Man and, you know, all kinds of things. And Lime is not the first, probably not the last uh, startup I do. And before that, the uh, Kings on Capital is, it was a startup as well, since we co- sure. uh, co-founded with my partner. And Tencent Experience was like myself, you know, one person that uh, right. did every the uh, practices or that, of course, that my my investor at the time called it Tencent, right? Sure, <laughs> the, yeah, the kind, kind of a big investor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ran my own company before that and had three startups in college. So you probably guessed it right. I, I don't spend much time or any in the classroom when I went to yeah. college. So right. That's just a personal passion and of like building things, making changes, as well as to uh, to enable that the uh, the peer and the younger you know professionals to have a a good opportunity to really learn and shine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in your case, it was kind of like, is it fair to say that it's almost kind of in your DNA? Because, I mean, you've been doing entrepreneurial ventures of one form or another for so long, right? I mean, obviously, Kinzen and Tencent were, were backed by, by corporations, but, but they were still startups in a sense, right? But when you think of folks who perhaps, you know, have not lived on an entrepreneurial uh, track, right, who potentially have worked in corporate for many, many years, or, you know, maybe who have been in and out of, you know, smaller operations where they weren't necessarily the founders. You know, how does, how do you think people can go about making the switch to becoming entrepreneurs if they haven't really done that before? Uh, yeah, totally. I, I think first question that the uh, kingdom is not a corporate part that we're separate from. The right. focus was our uh, so LP, right? That everything okay. else that is a startup. And after that, our fund too has diversified to many LPs just as a regular fund. So okay. with, with that, right, I think the, the entrepreneurship is not a title or status. It's a service. And that's how right. I would call it. And I, I, I'm probably to say that within Lime and many other, you know, companies and teams that are being involved with, there are many entrepreneur folks in the company. And, right. you know, Take Lime for example. That the the uh, it's such a young industry and such a new concept and new service and product that there's so many things which just nobody knows, including yeah. myself. We're still learning, we're still experimenting, and we're still improving. And many parts got to figure out. It's not because of me. It's because of our team, right? They have this spirit of being an entrepreneur, even though they may not be perceived or titled as a founder or a CEO. But in their domain, the entrepreneurship of 
figure things out or entrepreneurship of owning a yeah. domain and entrepreneurship of like taking the full responsibility and challenging yeah. the status quo. So I think that's what it matters. And then then it comes like, you know, is that the a a right time to start a company? Is there an opportunity God, you know, uh, right. is a merit and and also uh, the uh, kind of like the sense of being an entrepreneur is not necessarily that title. And I, honestly speaking, that I went through this with a bunch of my peers, and some of them that you know would not be lured to be, hey, I have to be a founder or or the CEO or not, but rather that intellectually they ask themselves is where they wanted to go and w- what they wanted to be. And many right. of them actually don't want to be CEO. And myself right. included, I don't want to be CEO. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, my entrepreneurship is reflected in in mostly you know products and company cultures and all that. Right, some of the entrepreneurship will be reflecting being the CTO of the company or the CEO of the company. Right? That's my inspiration of entrepreneurship. I would decode that from a title or status, but rather a spirit. Got it. That's that's fascinating, right? Because I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say there is on the one hand, you know, you can be an entrepreneur while not necessarily being a founder, right? You can have an entrepreneurial spirit that helps your organization do things differently, right? In a way. Yeah. Um, exactly. And then and then on the other hand, I think you know sometimes I think in Silicon Valley particularly, there's sometimes these, this obsession with, oh my God, I have to be a founder. I have to start my own company. When in reality, as you said, and this is something that's been fascinating about your career, and you know, I, I've, I've observed that close hand, at first hand working with you when I was in the States, is you, know, you, you always chose to have this kind of chairman kind of title, but your focus was, was always very closely aligned with the product and with the culture, right? which, is, which is fascinating. right? You really chose the niche that, that you enjoy working in and, and that you're good at, right? Yep, yep. I think the... Uh that's probably my self-reflection on entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, really that's yeah, contributions and ownership uh, in yeah. terms of what I'm passionate about instead of like the, you know, the title or whatnot. Right, right. And tell me something, I mean, you know, of all the ideas that you could have come up with, right, why, why transportation? Why you know why uh, ride sharing? You know what was what was the what was the problem you were trying to solve? And why did you start this company? Uh, I think we, uh, you know, me and my co-founder probably have a little bit like unique opportunities or privilege in a way. That's just we're venture capitalists before, and what we have is that we have accesses or, or exposure, if you would, to all kinds of ideas, right? Some are crazy, some are dumb, some are, are really astounding. And, uh, as a typical venture fund, that we look at about, you know, two to 3,000, sometimes more, uh, you know, business ideas and pitches on a, on a regular basis, on any basis. That the, so we like a lot of the ideas and all that, and and yeah, we apparently you know invest in quite a few of them and support them to grow. The what that comes back to really is personal interest and passion. I think the you know instead of like investing in a company and watch the goal, or watch how it goes, or 
the, the two reasons. First is we were not able to find a, a good company uh, to carry out the vision that we have, you know, for this space, right? This is different from, like, do I believe you, your vision is we have a vision. And, yeah. we, you know, try to find a team we're not able to find it. But meanwhile, why we have a vision instead of we look at others' vision is the personal passion. You know, and Patrick, you know me well. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm a worker. I'm a runner. <laughs> yeah. No, I know you. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of patients, and we all, I think, most of the uh, audience that will be, uh, you know, experience that as well on a daily basis. That the traffic congestions that's getting worse. The pollution is getting worse. And yeah. for us, that the uh, we. Like there's a quote that I really like is the and the quote says this that we're not in the traffic, we are the traffic. Yeah. And and the matter of fact it, that's true, right? That we are, you know, the fact that we don't have another alternative that and we end up like driving a car or holding an Uber, that we're creating more traffic, not just for ourselves but for everyone else as well. If everyone thinks that way, that it will just get worse, that we're stuck in traffic and we smell the gas emissions or that. So instead of like only complaining about it, we decide to do something about it. And this looks, you know, a tiny thing that everyone, you know, millions, billions of people experience on a daily basis. But we are, I think that's where the entrepreneurship uh, spirit comes in, right? That we complain about it, then we decide to do something about it, and that's the mm-hmm. beginning of life. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's awesome, right? And it's what I think is so unique about your journey as well is that you know, when you look at venture capitalists, I mean, some of them, you know, are former entrepreneurs themselves. Some of them have have started and taken companies public, but you know, a fair number of them are not, right? A fair number of VCs are are essentially financiers, right? And and so the interesting thing I think about your journey is how you were a venture capitalist, you made a number of investments, you saw a number of things, but you never really found a company that you thought could, could carry out this vision. And so you ended up saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go out and do it then. Yep, yep. <laughs> the, that's very uh, cool. Yep, I think the, uh, that's the spirit I, I you know, rather to talk uh, to, to, uh, to promote through your, yeah. through your podcast. Exactly. No, and, and that's great because I think, you know, in Chile and in Latin America, you know, things are a little bit slower. You know, the culture is definitely very different. And when I look at, you know, Chile and, and its success, you know, it's a country that has enormous opportunities, has done fantastically well. I believe actually, you know, according to some sources I have, without going into any details or numbers, you know, that it's been fantastically successful for you guys as well as a company. Um, but, you know, the country is more conservative. And so I think it's a challenge for people to take the plunge to get involved in entrepreneurship, right? Whether it's either starting a company or being part of a startup or, you know, leaving a very comfortable, well-paying job, right? And so I think your, your story there is a powerful one. It's different. Yeah, I would add on top to that. I think the, you know, conservative or not, and the, uh, some that they are, you know, they, they have influences as well as the stabilization of the economy, you yeah. know, the social awareness, awareness that all the things that matters. Yeah. The other thing, though, is the, the, the I, you know, there will be a small 
percentage has entrepreneurship uh, spirit, and there will be some of that will leading the trend. It has to start somewhere. Yeah. And on the other hand, that the uh, I think we see the when I have a brief stayed in uh, San Diego that when it was uh, hiking the Patagonia there, then the, yeah. the people I briefly talked to, they do have a lot of ideas, a lot of passion, right? That yeah. the, it's, sometimes it's harder to overcome some of the artificial stuff. That, you know, the, and, and the two things I would share that, the first is that what is the downside, right? The, and some are feared about the things that are unknown in the future. But if we drill it down, that what is the downside? The company might fail in a year or two. Right. Then, yeah, that's right. It got to reset. But what's the downside? If, sure. You know, someone will gain a lot of experience regardless that is successful or fail that yeah. from that a year or two and maybe lost like two years salary. I guess that's, uh, that's the downside, right? And the, you know, that's what I would ask. The, uh, what we encourage everyone to ask right, when, the, when it comes to a decision like that. And the second part is really passion. I think passion really makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, someone will ask me, you know, are you, like, really tired and all that, like, you know, working on a startup across a lot of stuff going on, and it's not easy. You know, it's always tough that we'll figure something out and never been done before. Then my kind of answer is, not direct, but we'll say, what do you like? Are you like biking? Are you, how long are you biking? It's like 10 hours. Are you tired of biking? Well, nobody said that, right? <laughs> because right. you love it. Because you're right. passionate about it. And that's part of the thing you actually don't get paid. You go out, right? You sweat and you put your work into that and you enjoy it. So it's yeah. that part really uh, makes a huge difference that the, um, the right reason is the biggest driver Right. Uh, behind all that, and and I think I again that would encourage the audience to think about what they're really passionate about. Yeah, is it is it, you know one thing that comes up very often when you talk about entrepreneurship and you talk about passion is passion versus purpose. And so I was just wondering yeah. what your take on it is. Is it passion or is it purpose or is it both? It's both. I think the the purpose is the north star where the company culture everything we do should be towards and the passion is along the way that what we give us the you know the energy and and the uh the perception uh, well, well you know preservation uh, to do that i think the, the goal uh, we, we can look at it that way right the purpose you know for us as a company for me you know individually we wanted to make the society the, the world we live in better but yeah. then there are many ways to go about it. <laughs> well, sure. I decide on what I do, and and that is more related to passion. Uh, you know, yeah. The passion I have about mobility, about getting out there and making the city more more connected, more social, about reducing the pollution. Or, you know, someone else's passion is, you know what, I was just focusing on making the water, clean water accessible to everyone. Or yeah. someone will go about and say, uh, I'm just so fascinated with, you know, food industry. How do we make the food healthier? Or yeah. about it, say, green energy, right? Green energy is the way to go, and that's what I'm passionate about. Right. So I think we all marching towards the same goal and it serve the same purpose. So let, let me expand on that one second, because I think one of the things that you said was really interesting, and I think that's something that people here in, in, in Chile and South America need to hear. 
How important is it for you as a founder? How important it is for you as, as senior management to, to have developed a powerful vision for the company and to really live that vision? Because you and I, when I was, when I was working with you guys, we spent a lot of time talking about this, if you remember. And so I was just wondering yep. how important that, it, that has been for Lime to have spent that kind of time on the vision and then what you guys do to bring that vision to life from a culture perspective. Yeah, I think the quick answer is that is critical, critical to the point of life and death. That the uh, and is that important? I think in the short term that uh, there are questions that or or common challenges that a typical startup has. That you know, and that will be how do you recruit the best talent? Right? How do you make sure that the team works together, executives that are fully aligned? And how do you incentivize and encourage the, the people to, you know, the employees or whatnot to put in their best? And those are the things that are common challenge for any startup or, matter of fact, any company. Yeah. And then the, the, uh, the purpose, the vision really speak for to that, right? That a lot of our employees join the company because of the vision. A lot of, yeah. you know, we were, we were a startup, right? That we're not going to be able to match the the uh, the you know high pays from like companies like Google, or Facebook. Well, you know, Patrick, you know that well, right? That <laughs> we're not able to, to match that kind of a payment. But why? Yeah. Someone has that caliber experience, join a startup, take the risk, and also take less payment. Well, the the equity appreciates if everything works out well, right? But at the beginning, it's risky, and I think yeah. that. The vision and the purpose really is the reason they joined it. Believe yeah. in the vision, have the faith that will make it. You know, make the change, make the impact, and also that the uh, the valuation it will go up with it, right? But fundamentally, is that the you know believe that we're doing the things that matters, and the yeah. same applies to executive team. That you know why we can attract so many great talents to join us. Uh, they could otherwise get any job on earth they want, right? And yeah. that also speaks to some of the culture is that we're growing fairly fast and how a group of people coming together, you know, and glued together in, in working company. And that's always a, one of the hard part. And you yeah. cannot, like, force people say, you know, to work together. It has to be voluntarily that from their heart. And what what that is is a vision, is a purpose, and is a a a bold goal that we're marching towards together. And and when you talk about company culture, right? And and I know that you you know you talked earlier about how important that is to you personally and how much time you spend on that. Why why does company culture matter so much to you guys? And and what do you guys actively do to foster that? Uh, yeah, I think the, in my mind, that the, and, and from observations of like, you know, centuries of companies up and failed, right? Some made it, some didn't, some are okay companies, some are good companies, some are extraordinary companies. I think at the end of the day, when you look at them, that the business model change, product change, and all kinds of things change. And what has not changed, what has made companies different are the people. And the how 
people are, you know, attracted to the company and stay with the vision and and made the best push to make them happen, right? And how right. they solve and 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 get you know provide the solution for the innovate when market change when user demand change then right. it goes to really the culture of the company we could have a group of like best talent well compensated each are a top expert in their domain sitting together right do nothing and some companies are like that and we are we could have a bunch of people together fight against each other all the time without you know really innovate or that and that's where the culture really comes into play right what kind of uh, culture we have determines what kind of output that the team potentially could have. You know, right. Innovation is a part of the culture. And challenges status quo or not to, right? Those are part of culture. Are we a right. team player oriented company that we can handle, you know, complex issues together or are we just a bunch of individuals that do their own things under the same roof? So that right. is how important the culture is, and and on that front, that we proactively uh, set a company values and set a vision, mission that people believe in, and also set the values, and we hold ourselves to them. I think the the culture part is interesting. First, it's dynamic; it's a living, uh, you know, organism. It's not a static thing, right? That the that's the interesting part of it, and it evolves on its own. And the second part, that the culture, that evil, I, I did quite spend quite a bit of time across different companies and look at the values and cultures, it's somewhat, you know, similar, right? How to make that a unique fit to the company is a good big question. That the you know, unique to uh, to each of the business models as well as company that vision. The most important thing, however, is that do we Live the culture. Do we hold them true? Is the bigger question. I think the the many company has a great set of statement and also values. They put it on the wall and they forget <laughs> about it. Right. right. And there are many company we let's not name them, but many companies that we look <laughs> at it, right. It's that user friendly, user first, and then look at their practices. Definitely not. Right. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And that, we have a bunch of those here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that I think is if we if we if you ask me what is one unique thing that I would say that line is I think that's what the of course we're not like perfect yet we're still learning and improving but that's the one thing I would point to that we hold yeah. them true and we make mistakes but we correct them we learn from it right. and but we really you know hold everyone true to the values we set to the culture that we agreed upon. Can, can you give uh, can you share with us for example you know an example of a program that you guys run that you know that's been successful that really helps reinforce um, this culture that you guys have built? Uh, yeah, there are many. Right, uh, the I think back to you know just like let's look at life for example that the there are many things that we we said that what we will do right you know one of the example I will give is on the insurance side. And when we look at the business, the industry, when we get started, nobody provides insurance. And it's been run like that for about 200 years. You know, anyone that has rented a scooter, a bike, or matter of whatever you have rented in the past, the first thing you will 
do is you sign a waiver. So nobody right. carries insurance for you. It says you're on your own, responsible for your actions. And when we look at the issue, that we had a, some debate internally that legally we're not liable to do that. Everyone does that. That's called a fast practice in the industry, and we don't have to do it. And I think the user understand why as well. But then, you know, we could also to further help the user to mitigate some of the unlikely incidents, right, that, you know, if that happens, that we want to cover their face. And that's our commitment to the user, even though it results in that more cost on our side. And even though that is not legally required, even though the whole industry does not do that. So we were the right. first one to provide insurance to our bike share and scooter share comp, uh, users. Then what it did is that uh, it led to the change in the entire industry that everyone else follows, right? And that, I think that is a culture that we have to live through. We, we, if we said we're going to serve the user, we'll give them best experience, we wanted to provide the, uh, the safest service and product to them, and that including insurance being part of the picture. So it's right. not an economic analysis that we went through. It's not the best practices. It's not even a legal requirement. But right. we decided to do it. Yeah, no, I, that, I, think, and I, you know, I think that's great. I mean, it's leading by example. Um, switching gears a little bit, you know, one of the things that people often um, are challenged by in, you know, in, in parts of Latin America, and you know, I think Chile is no different, is you know, taking those initial steps to start a company, join a company, do something that's outside of their, their comfort zone. And, and so I was thinking, you know, in your experience, I remember you and I talking before you started Lime, you took a lot of time off, you went traveling. You know, I think you, you mentioned you did some sort of a vision quest, you know, pseudo mountain climbing experience, if I remember correctly. Um, how, how do you prepare for that journey, right? How do you prepare for the marathon that is starting a company? Uh, I didn't really prepare anything for it. <laughs> but I, I think, again, that is the same thing that the uh, – it's really driven by, by passion and belief, right? The passion gave me the energy to charge forward to work like 100 hours an hour and believe gave me the, you know, per, uh, per, per, uh, per, well, what is it called? The, perseverance, you know, yeah. Perseverance, that to keep it, you know, that way. I've been working like 80, 100 hour per hour kind of thing uh, on a weekly yeah. basis for the last 15, 20 years, so probably longer than that. It's yeah. really driven by passion. Just same as like, you know, if you are interested or or excited or passionate about like hiking or climbing, right? Then nobody's gonna ask you, say, why the hell you wanna climb up in a very cold Everest, carry everything yourself, including your own shit, right? For seven <laughs> days and you might die along the way. You know, that you know, nobody's gonna ask you that. This is it's passion, right? It's belief. And but, or or, or craziness. <laughs> well, yeah, that could be passion sometimes will be seen as crazy for craziness yeah. or crazy what uh, do yeah. that. And the same applies that, you know, let's just say you set out a journey, you want to conquer Everest, you already trained, you know, whatever, right, you set for that. And then I came in and I say, hey, Patrick, what about I use a helicopter and lift you up there? <laughs> that defeats the purpose. <laughs> right, that, that's taking away 
your passion and purpose for yeah. what you wanted to do. Some always dream of that, you know, taking the shortcut, say, why don't I just get there, take a selfie, and claim I did it. But that's <laughs> not true passion, right? True. The same yeah. here, I think, start company or that is also about the journey as well. Yeah, uh, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and, you know, when you look at how this journey has been so far, and I'm sure that there's been many examples, but is there a particular example that, of course, you're willing to share, which, is, which has been marked as kind of like what you would say is one of your most difficult challenges as a founder of the past two or three years? Is there anything that stands out that you're like, Jesus, this, has been, this was really hard. How did I get through this? Uh, I think, you know, not so far that really to the level that I, I would have, you know, that uh, he uh, described it. That's the moment I wanted to share. <laughs> but I think there's the, uh, some learnings there. And one thing that the, uh, I would say, perception that I start to understand that the cities and users and communities more. That initially we're just like, hey, this is a no-brainer, right? Why city don't want it? Why user don't want to use it? You know, it's cheaper, <laughs> yeah. it's faster, it's green. It doesn't cost the city a penny, and it costs users a lot less compared to other alternatives. And they are suffering every day. And that was just, uh, I would say, even a little bit too arrogant <laughs> in terms of like how we think about it. Entrepreneurs in general share a one common, you know, uh, trait. That that is optimistic. That about yeah. things, right? And particularly when we are too much into the whiz, that we we think about the issue every day. It's a self enhancement, for enhancing process, right? Yeah. And uh, and then later we learn that you know there are many considerations that we as a company that we have to take into consideration. And some of that we as a company we cannot achieve it by ourselves alone. And you know, for example, that uh, some of the cities then will be concerned about user safety, right? That they don't just don't have the infrastructure for it, or yeah. that they were concerned about what about disabled populations, right? How do we make it easier for them to navigate the run? And and that's the part that the we uh, we as a company that you know one of the value we set for the company is to serve the urban life, and that. Right. Is very clear to the entire company. It's not about just our writers. It's about our writers. It's about our non-writers. It's about yeah. our community. It's about the city, and they are all our customers. Even though some of them do not use our service, and we need to serve them. So that was a like you know big learning as well as an alert that you yeah. know, ourselves right as entrepreneurs or just matter of fact that as Whoever working on a, a innovative product or new thing, that we have to take that into consideration. Right. So it's like from what I'm understanding there, what you're saying is, you know, entrepreneurs sometimes have to be mindful of the broader impact that their product and service has beyond just their immediate customers, right? So in your case, it's like what's the impact of, you know, ride sharing on communities, on universities, on local neighborhoods, on campuses, right, aside from just the people that you serve themselves. That's right. It's beyond yeah. just the, uh, the user who pays us. Yeah, and exactly. And have to be Yeah, and I, I've seen you guys, you know, I've seen some of your work on that. I mean, obviously within the app, you know, encouraging people not to ride on the sidewalks, which, you know, in Chile we, we, 
we see a lot of that, you know, as, as, as somebody who uses your scooters nearly every day. I mean, it's tough because, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to ride on the sidewalk because it's not safe for pedestrians. On the other hand, I mean, I don't know if you remember how, how people in Santiago drive, but you don't want to be riding on the streets either if you're on a scooter. So, um, but it's, it's challenging, and I think you guys are, are obviously trying to take steps to, you know, to please both worlds, which is tough, right? But it's, it's part of what you have to do. Um, yep. Switching gears for a second, kind of the last, the last segment here of our, of our podcast, um, let's talk about people a little bit, because you, you mentioned this earlier uh, as, you know, how important it is to build that culture, and obviously people are a big part of that. Um, and then you, you mentioned the, the importance of vision, right? What's, what's been your guiding philosophy when it comes to really hiring and getting the best people for Lime and, and then keeping those people happy? Like what, what's been your philosophy there and, and what have you learned throughout that process? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. I think, you know, that's beyond Lime that uh, every company that I worked on that will have the same issue. Every single audience out there that regardless of starting a company or working at a company, that's always like, Literally the number one question, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and for myself, I think the in short that I break the uh, the issue into two parts. One is capability that's you know being vetted, vetted, and also validated by past experience, by resumes, by by responsibility in the past uh, companies and whatnot, and also reference check on that. And that's actually a fairly easy part. Yeah. And the yeah. second part then is a fit, whether it's a good fit for the company and culture-wise and as well as for the particular role we're hiring at a time. But that part right. could be a, you know ever-changing thing, right? So the fit that if I have to weight those two, I think you know what I notice is many companies hire for capability, while as yeah. we first emphasize on the fit. And the reason yeah. being that, number one, we believe experience and, and, and all that can be learned, right. while as the, uh, whether it's a good fit or not, it's hard to change. And second right. part, we believe it's a new industry, new product. There's so many things that just need to be figured out instead of like, here's the playbook and copy and paste it. It's just more yeah. work. And yeah. it's actually dangerous, right? And, and the third thing that also back to your second question is that also helps to retain them since they already come in, right. number one, with the, uh, the right mentality, believing in the vision, believing in the team, and number two, that the, uh, the fit also speaks for their own experience, right? They're passionate about this. They have the belief and also that they're willing to accept that this is a challenge. This is somewhere that they are here to make a difference. Versus like, you know, I got this big resume, so I come in and I'll, you know, <laughs> just do whatever I do in the past. And, and that in many cases, in particularly when we talk about entrepreneurship, that we're creating something new, we're, we're challenging status quo, that I, the, uh, uh, that that mentality just won't work well. So I think yeah. that the, the focusing on the fit, uh, not only getting us the best talents, but also that it will retain them better. And you know how we retain them? Well, there's one secret sauce, right? Make them happy. Make them yeah. happy about what they're working on. Make them happy about their achievements. Mm -hmm. Make them happy that they be part of things that they believe in and contribute to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's fascinating because you know, one of the things that you see in Chile, and I don't know if you see this in all countries in South America, and I don't want to generalize, but one of the things that struck me here, I was having dinner with a friend who was the CEO of you know, a, a mid-sized Chilean company, relatively successful, very old school. And he was telling me, you know, he was complaining about his board and how his, his board is so conservative and it was difficult for him to get anything done and he was really fed up with it and he was like, I really would love to leave. And I asked him, I said, well, why don't you? I mean, you know, you've got 20 years experience. You've been a GM for like eight years. You know, it's like you're a smart guy. And, you know, his answer was, well, I can't really leave because recruiters in the city basically will only want to put me as a GM or CEO of another company in the industry that I work in. And it just struck me as so insane, right? And you have... I'm running into so many cases of people like that where I, I meet incredibly talented people in Chile every day in all sorts of industries. And many of them have been in these jobs or these industries for not just five or six years, but seven, 10, 15 years. And they have this belief, which may or may not be true, that they can't really change industries. And so I guess, you know, what, what kind of would be your message to people like that, you know, based on what you see and the kind of people you've hired for Lime and people coming from obviously all sorts of in different industries because your industry didn't even exist, right? What, you know, what would you tell those people or what kind of suggestion or advice would you give about how you go about changing that? Yeah, I think the, <laughs> the, that's an interesting topic, right, that we probably don't have the time to go through the detail, but I think one thing, that itself speaks to the entrepreneurship part of thing right. as well. That right. the entrepreneurship is starting something new, challenges that as well, want to make an impact. And in this case, that switch industries or even switch, you know, roles, uh, well, that is part of that. And there's got to be a, you know, if it's a credible story, that you got to have a strong motivation and, and, and rationals behind it as well as the, uh, the validation of it. I think it will be hard uh, to say, hey, you know, I just want to be the president of a company, even though I only did warehouse management before, right? That, that's not <laughs> a yeah. story. But I think the, the, the three parts, we got candidates that are like that, right? We got candidates came to me and some of the best, you know, product guys, directors we have here, engineer background. And, the, uh, and you know, he laid out very clearly, say, you know, we need engineers, but is you know what, that my passion is in the product. I've been doing engineering, I work with them, but here's why I'm interested in product. And and not only that, he came together with a proposal that, right. you know, how he can contribute to it, right? And that's a very credible proposal uh, to begin with, versus like that someone come to me, say, I'm an engineer, worked eight years, I just want to be a product manager. And that, that's, that is not as a, I would say, you know, make a change that's driven by passion, that's backed up by solid planning, thought processing there. So end up being one of our best product guys, you know, right. has no product experience in the past. And again, that for us is the fit, not the resume. We, we look at a resume as what validates in the past, but we don't just hire people based on resume. And I think yeah. that there are many folks out there 
where companies will have that. But the uh, it's up to us, though. It's just like a a startup pitch, right? That uh, yeah, you know, I wanted to someone to invest a hundred million in the company, but we I need to make it real, and that's yeah. my part of responsibility, right? That yeah. as, as entrepreneur, or just the entrepreneur spirit that goes with it. Brad, this has been really, really awesome, uh, incredibly valuable. It's been really cool also to catch up with you and see all the amazing progress over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I kind of watch it from the sidelines over here in Chile, but like I said, use your products every day, and I'm you know, very curious to see where you guys take it next and obviously following all the traction. Um, just as one last thing before we sign off uh, today, if there are one or two pieces of wisdom that you could share or just a tip or a piece of wisdom for people on the fence about starting an entrepreneurial journey, what would that be? Uh, focus on the long term. <laughs> that <laughs> guiding, guiding me in terms of like how I make decisions and where I hinge my decisions upon. Right. I, I think the uh, you know one of the key things is there are so many uncertainties in in uh, you know a lot of things we do, and in that sense that the you know, how do we even make decisions? And there are, you know, so many new industries and new things we're working on that we have to have some base to decide why we do this and not that. Right? So I think the, you know, focus on the long term is one of the key things. And that also results in many uh, different sub-principles, I would say. You know, one of that is we hire for the best fit instead of the best resume. And also that we as a company we just don't take shortcuts. I think yeah. the uh, people are easier, very easily to be tempted to take shortcuts, right? You know, but we as a company, that actually is part of the culture as well. We just don't yeah. take shortcuts. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. You know, the, the last uh, pieces of wisdom from Brad, you know, he gave us three as opposed to two, which is just great. I'll take it. Focus on the long term, hire for the best fit, and no shortcuts. So, Brad, listen. I want to thank you once again. It's been awesome to catch up. I'm going to sign off now. This is Mad Mork from Mad Mork Stories. You can uh, check out all our podcasts and subscribe to this channel. Obviously, follow us on uh, madmork.com slash blog, our Facebook page, Mad Mork Stories, and on Instagram, at Mad Mork. Brad, thanks again. It's been really a pleasure. Great to catch up, and I wish you all the best and look forward to seeing where you guys go from here, man. Thank you for having me here, and great talking to you, my old friend.